You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off this week. We begin tonight with some major changes affecting passengers on BC ferries. No more napping on the car deck. And if you smoke, you're out of luck now, too. We'll bring in our Nitu Garcha, who talked to passengers today. And Nitu, reaction is mixed. Chris, definitely mixed reaction to the changes, an outright smoking ban, and it also means that passengers in lineups like this one behind me here at the Tawasin Ferry Terminal will have to check in and put in a request at the ticket booth if they want to stay in their vehicles during the sailing. That's not sitting well with some, especially those who have pets. Gordfield says he takes the ferry weekly. But the frequent rides with his dog are about to change. BC Ferries has announced a ban on passengers staying in their vehicles while the ferry is in motion and pets aren't allowed upstairs. I think it'd be tough on my little buddy here, Duke, leaving him alone inside the truck. Um, I think it would be very stressful on him. There is an exception to the rule. Open air decks won't be affected. Only those on lower closed decks will have to say goodbye to those onboard naps in their vehicle. It's better to get out and see the scenery than sitting down in the car. We take the ferry quite a bit living on the island and stuff, so we, that would definitely suck not being able to stay in our vehicle. It's late at night, I might want to sleep, but uh, the adjustment is not a big deal for us. Okay. We're on the ferry at least once, twice a month, and it's not going to affect us in any way. BC Ferries says the changes are to comply with new Transport Canada regulations to ensure passenger safety. It's It's got a lot to do with the fact that uh, many of the Many of the vehicles that are parked on our lower vehicle decks are uh, large commercial vehicles. There are combustible uh, cargoes that are being hauled on, on, the, uh, on the ferry on these decks. Another change, no more smoking anywhere. Our customers are entitled to a smoke-free environment, and that's why we see this for health and safety reasons as being an important step. Smoking's a legal activity, and it's a small area that we're in, and we're not harming anybody, so I think it's going a little bit too far. The total smoking ban applies to all BC Ferries vessels and terminals, unlike the passenger ban from vehicles, which is only for certain ferries. And passengers like Field, with special circumstances, can request to be on an upper deck. But that's only if there's space. Definitely wait for the next ferry. I would do that for him. That's Sure. Clearly going to have to make some adjustments. A lot of folks need to go over the timeline for these changes, too. That's right, Chris. BC Ferry says it's a done deal and they've set specific dates as to when these changes will roll out. When it comes to the ban on passengers staying on inside their vehicles on the lower covered decks, that is going to roll out as of October 11th. But the total smoking ban, that won't take effect until January 22nd. BC Ferry says it wants to give fair warning for those passengers who do smoke. Back to you. All right. Thanks very much, Nitu and Tawasin. Well, with just weeks to go until the school year begins, many school districts are struggling to fill hundreds of teaching spots. The vacancies were created when the Supreme Court ruled to return class sizes to 2002 levels. Tanya Beja explains what cities are doing to find the right hires and why the vacancies haven't been filled already. Surrey classrooms will welcome nearly a thousand new students this fall, but the district is still searching for people to teach them. It's a tall order, but we've been working on it since January, and uh, we expect to have everybody in place to start the school year. 
As a result of the 2016 decision by the Supreme Court of Canada, B.C. school districts are scrambling to hire more teachers and create smaller class sizes. Surrey must fill 320 teaching, counselling and resource positions. Vancouver has 280 vacancies, three times more than usual at this point in the year. Normally, school districts do most of their hiring in May and June, but uh, several school districts held off on a lot of their processes because they weren't sure that the money was going to be there. The provincial election put a pause on spending decisions. Now 60 districts are competing for talent. We've been recruiting and advertising across Canada. We've had recruiters go to Quebec, for instance. Uh, French immersion is always a, a difficult position to, uh, to fill. The B.C. Teachers Federation says the province can help by boosting starting salaries or covering moving expenses for teachers concerned about B.C.'s cost of living. People who obviously want to pay off student debt um, know they could be making much more money in Alberta, Manitoba, Saskatchewan and Ontario. So it makes it a really tough sell. The province is spending $2 million for recruitment and retention efforts in rural areas where the challenge is most acute. For now, districts like Surrey say come September, every classroom will have a teacher. We expect we'll be ready to go. There may be a few little bumps, but there usually is on a school opening day. Teacher on call positions, another matter with vacancies likely into the fall. Tanya Beja, Global News. Metro Vancouver's transit system just received a pretty stellar report card rated second best in the country, according to a new review. Ted Chernecki explains the criteria and why we could see some further improvements in the years ahead. Ted. Yeah, the criteria was uh, basically getting blood out of a stone because the reason TransLink got such a good report card this time is because it made such good use of the existing resources. But as we found out today, the best may be yet to come. But there could be a few bumps in the road before that happens. The Mayor's Council's 10-year plan for transit in the Lower Mainland has always called for an immediate and dramatic increase in the bus fleet. And that's set to happen in just two weeks. It's, it's the largest uh, single bus service increase in about seven or eight years since uh, around the Canada Line times. They're already building new bus stops in the Langley area, and about 22,000 residents in South Surrey and Maple Ridge will get public transit for the first time. One Langley councillor who watches TransLink very closely believes this is a turning point. The mayor's approved a property tax increase. They're looking at a regional development cost charge to pay for these expansions going forward. So it's not really stealing from Peter to pay Paul anymore. Uh, we're in a new era, I guess, for TransLink. That's another reason why his third annual report card on transit systems across Canada gave TransLink an A-plus rating for the first time. So they got an A-plus, and the biggest change was actually they went from a C to a B when it came to uh, operating costs. We still have the highest operating cost in the nation, but other uh, regions are actually catching up now. TransLink also has the best revenue kilometers per service hour, meaning it operates faster over a larger area for the same dollar as compared to other transit systems. Now, TransLink wants to improve customer satisfaction. It's addressing the customer need. The customer need on the bus side is overcrowded routes, routes that are delayed too often. We're, we're putting the resources in to address those most, uh, the, those most needy routes. But if you're a student getting ready to climb aboard those dreaded B-Line buses along Broadway, you're out of luck. TransLink says adding more buses would simply cause more congestion. Rapid transit is the answer there. 
So by recommissioning older buses, the risk, of course, is more breakdowns, but that's the risk TransLink is willing to take to try and reduce overcrowding. Chris? All right, Ted Chernecki reporting for us tonight. Another significant drug and weapons seizure, this one in Surrey, where Mounties have taken thousands of doses of cocaine and fentanyl off the street. Five people are facing 48 charges, but only four of them are currently in custody. Ramina Dea has more on the bust and who they're still looking for. This uh, handgun that I'm holding here right now was loaded. Two loaded well semi-automatic handguns. You can see large bricks here. Plus thousands uh, of doses of deadly drugs taken off the street by Surrey officers after a six-month-long investigation. 30,000 doses of cocaine and almost 4,800 doses of heroin and fentanyl. These drugs likely would have been sold to thousands of different drug users. Cash, bulletproof vests, and several vehicles also seized after search warrants were executed in South Surrey, Guilford, Langley, and Delta last week. Four people from Surrey have been arrested and charged, including a 22-year-old woman. All are known to police. They're facing a total of 37 drug and weapons offenses. There's one outstanding person who hasn't been taken into custody yet. Dominic Lastoria still on the run. The 28-year-old facing 11 drug-related charges. The investigation not tied to the current gun violence rocking Surrey. More than 30 shootings this year, three in just 24 hours recently. An innocent woman was also grazed by a bullet this summer. It's scary because you don't, like, we're out in the public, so you don't know. Do you feel safe? No. Absolutely not safe. Is it enough policing? No, it's not. Residents frustrated. No arrests have been made in the summer shootings. The Mounties say they are making progress, and this latest bust counts for something. Well, this seizure does directly impact the community in that it improves their safety. Romina Dea, Global News. And Mike Farnworth, the Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General, has just announced the government will invest $500,000 from civil forfeiture grants into anti-gang programming for youth in Surrey. The funding will support the Surrey RAP program and eliminate the program's current wait list. Part of its strategy is to address gang violence and make communities safer. Now, police in Vancouver are investigating a targeted shooting that left bullets lodged in an East Vancouver home. It happened just before midnight in the area of Caslow Street and East 22nd. That intersection has seen criminal activity in the past. In 2015, VPD installed a surveillance camera to crack down on gang activity there. It had been removed, but today they brought it back. The construction industry is starting to feel the effects of the wildfires burning in this province. Right now, there are 134 fires burning in B.C., four new ones since yesterday. There are still 23 evacuation orders and 36 alerts. And almost 1,022,000 hectares, about 10,000 square kilometers, have been burned. Grace Key explains the impact that's now having on the supply of lumber around the province. It's just a ridge line of fire all the way across. It's one of the worst forest fires in B.C.'s history, and the damage is more far-reaching than you'd think. Millions and millions of board feet of lumber that feed the mills have gone up in smoke and flames. Mills are being shut down as workers are being forced to evacuate. 
Caresdale Lumber, a family-owned business for 96 years, has been scrambling to meet orders for the last couple of months. I think we've been lucky at times, and uh, it's been a lot of hard work, and like we definitely don't spend this much effort usually trying to secure product. Um, it's normally pretty easy to come by. With supply down, prices have jumped. Plywood has shot up as much as 50% this summer, and dimensional lumber as much as 40 to 60%. People in the industry in 40 years have never seen it like this. This is a real state of emergency. Neil Moody is the CEO of the Canadian Home Builders Association of BC. He says there's been about a dozen or so mill closures. There are work restrictions in the forest. Logging routes are a challenge. People are getting laid off and contractors are taking a hit. Those contractors that are building now with fixed contracts, they're going to be hurt because they can't change their prices. They can't go back to the homeowners and increase the prices because of the escalation. So there are some builders that have that flexibility, but not all. Suppliers predict the problem could stack up until October. And if the state of emergency continues, the lumber industry will continue to take a hit. Grace Key, Global News. And here's another way to understand the scope of the damage. Take a look at this map. Illustrated in red, the more than 1 million hectares burned so far this season. And in yellow, the second worst wildfire season back in 1958, when more than 861,000 hectares burned. Well, the province has ended its fiscal year with a $2.8 billion surplus. Those numbers line up basically with what the former B.C. Liberal government released just a few months back. Let's take a look at some of the highlights. Again, the surplus just over $2.7 billion. The government reports 3.7% economic growth. But the big red ink in all of this is a $612 million loss by the ICBC. ICBC continues to be a, a, a real challenge and has substantial deficits. Uh, has had for the last couple of years. You'll hear more about this next week um, from the, the minister, from the attorney. Um, but this is an area that we're watching closely because it's a, it's a huge pressure uh, and a huge pressure on, on the upcoming budget. Factor in packing, parking and getting through security and air travel can be filled with a lot of anxiety. But Vancouver International Airport just unveiled something to ease your stress. A whole furry family of airport ambassadors. Reaction from travelers in just over a minute. An amazing rescue after an earthquake in Italy. The moment young boys were pulled from the rubble. Coming up. And murder mystery on the high seas. What really happened aboard this homemade submarine off the coast of Sweden? That's later on the news hour. Now, thousands of athletes and even more spectators are descending on Penticton this weekend for the Triathlete World Championships. While the 10-day multi-sport event brings millions of dollars into the community, Shelby Tom explains why some business owners are feeling left out. Downtown Penticton has been transformed into a triathlon mecca. The South Okanagan City playing host to the first ever multi-sport world championships as athletes compete for six triathlon-style racing titles. This is an enormous event. There are 3,500 athletes, uh, eight to 10,000 visitors in total coming to Penticton. But with any massive event comes massive disruption. We decided that the best is to just close the door altogether. Near Naramata, Poplar Grove Winery, Monster Vineyards. 
and their restaurant forced to close on Saturday during the heart of summer because Middle Bench Road was closed for a race. I definitely have an idea of uh, what that what that loss is, and I can tell you it's significant. The winery says they received this in personal notification of the road closure only a week before the event. Which is difficult for us to manage our business when that is uh, the amount of communication we receive. And this is Oaked. Three Sisters Winery also forced to shut their doors with little notice. Definitely revenue loss for, to close for a full day on a Saturday in the summer, yeah. Race organizers say they're doing their best to keep the public informed and that the disruption will be worth it. Uh, overall, we think the, the economic impact of this event is somewhere between the region of 8 to $10 million to the city. Uh, so uh, lots of money coming through, lots of heads in beds, uh, restaurants are full. Although the city says better planning will go into hosting large-scale events in the future. We think we can do better, so we are going to do better. Shelby Tom, Global News, Penticton. Vancouver International Airport has recruited some new four-legged staff members to help people deal with the stress of air travel. YVR has brought in seven ambassador dogs from the St. John Ambulance's therapy dog program. Unlike with most therapy dogs, travelers are encouraged to interact with these pets. One of the women was, that came up to him and said, oh, can I pat your dog? And she said, I'm terrified. I'm going to on a long flight to Germany and I'm so afraid of flying. So she took about 45 minutes and hung out with him. And she said, oh, she said, I feel so different than I did when I started out here. The dogs will be at the airport Monday to Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. But if the program is successful, it could be expanded to seven days a week. Why don't, why don't you just make that call right now? It's going to be seven days. I can almost guarantee it. Great day to enjoy the PNE. That's where meteorologist Christy Gordon is taking in tonight's sights. Christy, how's the weather? Well, it's absolutely perfect. Uh, it was open to the public for free this morning, right through, I think, until uh, noon. So it is packed here today, and it is a perfect day for it. I see some clouds, but otherwise it's mainly mainly clear. And we heated up today, Chris, to 29 degrees, but the humidity is really what's making it feel so hot. With the humidity, it's feeling like 33 down here. So it certainly is a hot one, but it's not bothering anyone, that's for sure. Uh, when I come back, we'll be talking about the changes on the way for tomorrow, a mass Massive drop in temperature, and it could be good news and bad news for the interior fires. I'll show you that in a little bit, Chris. Sounds good, Christy. We'll check in a little later. In the meantime, a major breach at a salmon farm. How hundreds of thousands of Atlantic salmon ended up in the Pacific Ocean. And a wayward bird back where it belongs, even without the man who there made it happen. A bittersweet gathering in Port Coquitlam today and a homecoming for a tiny B.C. resident that found itself far from home. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the release back into the wild of an Oriole rescued in Ontario happened without the man who made it possible. Colony Farm Regional Park in Port Coquitlam is a paradise for birds. And not surprisingly, one of the Wildlife Rescue Association's preferred release sites. It's always a good day when we can return birds to the wild. Several rehabilitated birds will be released today. But upstaging them all is this little girl. The Starazar Bullock's Oriole that was found all the way out on the East Coast in the winter of 2015 which was way off course. Her normal range is southern B.C. all the way down to Central America, which is where she should have been spending the winter. 
Instead, she ended up near Ottawa. They theorized that she got blown off course as a result of a winter storm that actually blew through that area just before she turned up. She landed in Ray Holland's backyard, a local birder who recognized she was out of place. He took her half-frozen to the Ottawa Valley Wild Bird Care Centre, where, after amputating two frost-bitten toes, she was nursed back to health. Last week, she was flown by Air Canada to B.C. Where the Wildlife Rescue Association took her in to prepare her for release, which brings us to today. Closer to that red tree down there. A fine spot to release some white-crowned sparrows and an American goldfinch. Next, the moment so many have waited so long for. But first, a few words. So we are releasing this Bullock's Oriole in memoriam of Ray Holland for all the work he did for this bird. Sadly, Ray passed away August 10th, shortly before his Oriole came home to BC. There's the Oriole. She'll probably spend a few days here just kind of getting used to her new surroundings and by then hopefully she'll find a flock to go with and then she'll fly south and return here next breeding season to have babies. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Amazing story. New concerns tonight for Pacific salmon stocks after hundreds of thousands of Atlantic salmon escaped from a Washington state fish farm. The Atlantic salmon were freed after nets ripped at a farm in the San Juan Islands. The U.S. company that owns the farm blames high tides and currents coinciding with this week's solar eclipse for the failure of the pen. They had the same issue, that they had to have emergency crews come out even from the east coast and to fix these net pens because they became damaged due to currents and tides. Well, critics of fish farms say the presence of Atlantic salmon and the potential for escape from net cages pose a serious threat to Pacific salmon stocks. An inventor, a journalist, and now a murder mystery. I don't have any idea that she thought this was a dangerous assignment in any way. Why did only one of them return from this fateful voyage aboard a homemade submarine? And what happens when your child is dreading heading back to school? Some help from the experts to ease the transition. As we sit here in the rain, thinking how uncomfortable we must be these minutes as our suits get wet, I think it's all the more fitting We remember on that day in Dieppe, the rain wasn't rain, it was bullets. A ceremony in Ottawa to mark the anniversary of one of the bloodiest battles of the Second World War. It was 75 years ago today that Allied forces stormed the beaches of Dieppe, France. More than 900 Canadian troops lost their lives. Thousands more were wounded. A miracle in Italy this morning in a town rocked by an earthquake. That's the moment workers pull a seven-month-old boy from the rubble of his home. Little Pasquale was freed during a 14-hour rescue operation that also saw his 8- and 11-year-old brothers pulled to safety. The oldest son is credited with pushing his brothers under a bed and drawing rescuers' attention by banging a broom handle on the rubble. The boy's parents also survived with only one minor injury among the entire family. Another bizarre chapter tonight in the twisting story of a Danish inventor, his homemade submarine, and the mysterious death of a freelance reporter. 
The latest development, the discovery of a headless torso in the waters off Copenhagen. This August 10th video from Copenhagen may show the final moments of Kim Wall's life. The 30-year-old Swedish-born freelance journalist on the Nautilus, a submarine built by eccentric inventor Peter Madsen. Sailing a submarine is a very unique experience. Wall was interviewing Madsen for a feature, but she never returned. Madsen was rescued the next day as his sub sank. He told police he dropped Wall off the night before. Hey, okay. Telling reporters in Danish, I'm fine. Seeing the Nautilus go down was unfortunate, but oh well. Now his story's changed. According to Copenhagen police, Madsen now says Wall died in an accident, and his lawyer claims he chose to bury her at sea. Madsen is charged with manslaughter. He's pled not guilty. Authorities claim he deliberately sank the sub. On Monday, a torso was found. Police now conducting DNA tests. What I'm opening up... NBC News interviewed Madsen in 2013. The construction of the submarine is very, very rewarding. Wall was based in New York, where she earned a master's degree in journalism at Columbia University. She was really adventurous and always trying to, I think, find something new about the world. She traveled to many of the world's hotspots for major magazines and newspapers. I don't have any idea that she thought this was a dangerous assignment in any way. A journalist who loved to tell fascinating stories, now at the center of her own bizarre mystery. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News, London. As bad as it was, we now know the terror attack in Barcelona was planned to be much, much worse. During court appearances today, the surviving suspects said they were planning on using homemade explosives to kill hundreds of people at various Barcelona landmarks. Their plans were scaled back when a house packed with bomb-making equipment blew up the day before. Fifteen people were killed and 130 injured in two vehicle attacks and a carjacking. Police now believe all 12 suspects in that cell have either been killed or captured. Donald Trump is in Arizona tonight, less than a half hour away from speaking at another campaign-style rally designed to shore up his troubled presidency. Supporters have been lined up in Phoenix since this morning for the rally, and anti-Trump protesters are also out in force. While there's been a lot of yelling back and forth, so far there's no sign of the kind of violence that happened in Charlottesville, Virginia. This all comes one day after Trump announced that he would increase the American military presence in Afghanistan, recommitting the U.S. to that country's 16-year-old war. And an unusual drug bust in Germany where police have seized about 5,000 ecstasy tablets shaped like Donald Trump's head. They have a street value of about $16,000 Canadian. No coincidence, they are orange. The U.S. Navy says the remains of some American sailors have been found in sealed compartments aboard the USS John S. McCain, the day after its collision with an oil tanker left 10 sailors missing. The Royal Malaysian Navy released photos today of recovery crews tending to the unidentified remains believed to be those of the missing sailors. As for the cause, investigators are looking into everything from a steering failure to the potential of a cyber attack. You may have noticed your children uh, cringing at the back-to-school ads coming out these days, but health experts say there can be some serious anxiety associated with the end of summer holidays. As Aaron MacArthur reports, BC Children's Hospital has some advice to smooth over the transition. Oh, it's all smiles now. But in two weeks, this water park fun is coming to an end. 
School starts September 5th. And for a lot of kids, going back can be fun. But it also can be an anxious time, too. You've been in, uh, with people that uh, in your class for a long time, and maybe now you're changing classes, and now there's not people you know. What I used to get really worried about when I was little, maybe in like grades one and two, is that all my friends would have forgotten me, and I would have forgotten everything I learned in the last year. The key to sending kids to school with less stress, according to the experts, is to be prepared saying as parents knock off the back-to-school shopping list, kids need to be getting their routines organized. So we all tend to stay up a bit later during the summer uh, months and sleep in later in the morning, so taking these last few weeks to get back into that good sleep routines, regular meals. A little anxiety about a new school or a new teacher, a normal part of going back. But any more than that, and parents need to know, there are resources available to help. Well, the things that you might look for is if your child's really having a hard time uh, getting to sleep at night, uh, if they're having lots of headaches, stomach aches that don't, you know, have a clear cause, uh, maybe they're having a hard time separating in the morning, a hard time getting to the school. There are no worries about back to school at the water park. And why would there be? Still plenty of time to get ready. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Some good weather for it, too. We'll get an update in a moment and your chance to see one of the most revered collections in all of Canada. First time I ever came up close to see something like this. The Hockey Hall of Fame comes to town. What fans are raving about. And weaving in and out of traffic at more than 150 kilometers an hour. How this high-speed chase on a California highway ended. Oh, it's all across lanes. Losing control. Almost hit that car right there. Unbelievable control. A high-speed chase endangering a lot of lives in California. Right after the forecast, the spectacular and surprising way this ends. But right now, let's check in with Christy Gordon, who's down at the PE for us on a beautiful evening. Christy. Thanks so much, Chris. You know, we're so lucky at Global BC News to have so many loyal fans. Uh, this is Lisa Hunter. She was down here during the noon show when Mark was doing the weather from down here, and she has been waiting since then. Why have you been waiting so long, Lisa? Uh, I'm a huge fan of Chrissy Gordon because uh, she's uh, my idol every time. I want to be like her someday. Do you want to do my job? Um, I want to take Mark's job instead. <laughs> Good idea. Then we can work together, right? Yes. Perfect. So you watch Global News all the time? Yes, I do. And your family? My, my family and um, my relatives as well because uh, I just moved here recently on the east side because I don't have any friends on the east side. Oh, she just moved here, but she I know she does have some friends because there were some guys behind us that were saying hello to you. All right, let's talk about the weather. Thanks so much, Lisa. So nice to chat with you. Thanks for hanging out. It is a hot one out there. Now, down in uh, the Peony area, we heated up to 29 degrees today, and there's so much humidity out here that the feels like is bumping the numbers that you're seeing right now up by a good three or four degrees. That's what it's feeling like out there. Now, we've got two different systems on deck. One is the cold front, and and then another sort of low-pressure center in behind it. Both of them are going to bring wind and scattered showers and a risk of thunderstorms. All of it expected to start later tomorrow. And that 
includes the interior regions where we have the fire, so we'll be tracking that closely. There's your forecast across the north, so mainly cloudy with that chance of showers, risk of thunderstorms, and gusty conditions. We have seen this a couple of times already this summer. What we will be tracking closely is the winds. That's what causes problems for the fires. We're hoping for more moisture. Down through the south, not nearly as much moisture for tomorrow. Across the south coast, it will be mainly dry. There's a chance of showers north of Victoria tomorrow, but generally dry. It is tomorrow night that we expect the chance of showers for Vancouver and the Victoria region, and that takes us into our Thursday morning. After that, Thursday afternoon through Friday, it looks like we are back to sunshine and very hot over the weekend. Happy birthday to Ruth Davis, turning 102, Nell Hagen, 106, and Gladys Lee, 103. Congratulations to you three. So, Chris, it is so nice. As I talked about earlier during the 5 o'clock show, we have so many fans down here at Global. It is nice that everyone comes down, both uh, new friends and old friends, of course. That's right. We're down there all day. Okay, thanks very much, Christy. Say hi to everybody down there for me. A California car chase puts countless lives at risk, and it ends in spectacular fashion. There's a CHP unit. Oh, it, cut, it cuts that CHP unit off, splitting those cars right there. Whoa, it goes rolling between those trucks. On. The chase began last night when police spotted a stolen vehicle. The driver reaching speeds of up to 160 kilometers an hour as he weaved through traffic. It all came to a sudden end when he tried to take an off-ramp too quickly. He's exiting at a high rate of speed. Oh, this cannot be good. Traffic ahead of him. Oh, he slams into that car. He goes across the dirt. He's losing control. He rolls it. He rolls it off the freeway. Believe it or not, the two people inside not only survived, but they got out of the car and tried to make a run for it. They were both arrested, one of them clearly injured in the crash. And from the What Were They Thinking file, the Calgary Airport Authority is apologizing for a slightly tone-deaf promotion in its parking lot. The airport teamed up with Lexus to allocate five prime parking spots exclusively for Lexus owners. The problem? Those spots were once for accessible parking. Faced with a prairie blizzard of criticism, the airport is now going to move the Lexus spots and restore the handicapped spots. For its part, Lexus says that it didn't know exactly where the airport was going to put its reserved spots. You can always learn from your mistakes. What's with that dude doing like the NASCAR play-by-play on the uh, car chase? I think the chopper guy was getting more out of it than anybody (laughs) else was. Pretty good. What are you working on? Okay, so the Whitecaps love Jordy Reyna's skill and also his hair. I like it. I'm trying to grow the same, and it's just taking a while. <laughs> and the question is, does this hairdo remind you of a famous cartoon character? Think about that. You thinking Simpsons? Maybe we'll talk about it later. Yeah. And the legends of hockey. You'll want to give yourself some extra time to explore the Hockey Hall of Fame at the PNE. Squire has some of the highlights a little later. Squire's got sports, including uh, one special player for a couple of reasons on the Whitecaps. Have you guessed that you did? You said Sideshow oh, Bob? I thought, I thought so. Okay, let's see if the Whitecaps agree with you. <laughs> uh, Jordy Reyna seems like a good mid-season addition to the Vancouver Whitecaps, but actually he was supposed to start the year with Vancouver in March. That plan was derailed because he suffered a preseason injury. It gave Reyna time to save up his energy, sharpen up his goal scoring and playmaking skills, and get just the right hairdo to help the Caps in the second half push for a playoff spot. Tomorrow, at home, Vancouver and Seattle. 
And between Reyna's skills and his haircut, he's hard not to notice. This is Jordy Reyna picking it up just outside the box. You're a guy who's got a pretty good quaff. What do you think about what he's got going on there? What does he have going on there? I'm not even sure how to explain it, but um, to each his own. That's what I'll say to that. Does this look like Jordy at all? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Is it okay to re- refer to it as a sideshow Bob Duke? Because it looks like sideshow Bob. That's what we've been discussing in our newsroom. <laughs> I don't think I'm, I'm not going to call it that. You guys can, but... Uh, uh, no, he look, it looks good. It looks better when he scores. That it does, and if Jordy Reyna keeps scoring goals like this, he'll be the main show. Linking up alongside Freddie Montero, the two are starting to form a formidable 1-2 attacking punch for the Whitecaps, and the timing couldn't be better as the Caps try to cement a playoff spot. It was a, it was a good team goal from the front, too. It's a wonderful finish from Jordy. We know he can do that. I actually have to stop him doing it every day in training because we've got all our Latinos that want to take about 50 shots every every session which is a pain in the bum okay lastly um you've had some guys here that have some pretty good hairdos eric hurtado is usually in the way but yordi's is pretty good but does it compare to sideshow bob from the simpsons <laughs> i'll pass on that one <laughs> that's a good photo by the way <laughs> there is a decent chance that the son of Vancouver Whitecaps owner Greg Kerfoot might sign with the Vancouver Canucks. Alex Kerfoot, who played center at Harvard University, is a free agent. He was drafted by the Devils a few years ago, but he never signed with them. The Canucks and the Rangers are two teams that he has on his short list. He had 45 points in 36 games last year. One of the best players in NCAA hockey. Used to play in the BCHL, you might remember, for the Coquitlam Express. Not a big guy, 5'10", 175, but size is not mattering as much to teams as it used to. Nobody knows yet if he's a bona fide NHLer, but you might as well stockpile as many prospects as possible because the odds are in your favor that some of them might work out. Canada, Elisa Aleri against Wales. Again, at the Women's World Cup, Canada beat Wales in the round robin. This is to see who gets to go into the fifth place game against Australia. This is Aleri again. Look at that. Clever. Something under. Second try for her, and J.C. Gruznik with the block kick. Blocked, and drops on it. Canada scored 52 in this one, 52-0. Australia will be our opponent in the fifth-place game, the championship game, New Zealand and England. While the Cleveland Cavaliers have apparently finally traded guard Kyrie Irving, traded because he's tired of playing second fiddle to LeBron James. Now he's going to the Celtics for Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Antti Zizek, and the 2018 first-round draft pick, which did belong originally to Brooklyn. So that could be a high pick because the Nets are awful. So advantage Cleveland in this trade, even though Kyrie Irving is the best player in the deal. Did help LeBron and the Cavs win the NBA title last year. He's an offensive force, but his defense isn't that great. Thomas is solid, not as good as Irving, but a reasonable replacement. It's the extra that Cleveland's getting from Boston that gives him the edge on paper in this trade. Okay, now from the are you kidding me, he did it again file, UFC light heavyweight champion John Jones failed a drug test related to his win over Daniel Cormier last month. This is his second failed drug test in his career. The first time he was suspended by the UFC for a year. As of right now, the UFC has not decided what the punishment will be this time. And of course, this Saturday in Vegas, they have arrived. The two combatants, the fight between 
UFC star Conor McGregor and boxing legend Floyd Mayweather. Nobody really expects McGregor to win this since it's his first ever pro boxing fight. But the fact he's such a great talker and showman, there will be lots of pay-per-view buys. McGregor is such an underdog that if he does happen to win, Vegas sportsbooks would lose millions of dollars. If bravado had anything to do with this fight, McGregor actually would be a good bet. I am calm and cold, same way I am before every contest. I'm ready to get in and do the business. I'm fit, I'm sharp, and I'm going to be ruthless in there. I'm a man. Not sure how long he'll last in there, but he's going to be ruthless nonetheless. There Point you go. Devil. On Saturday. All right, thanks, Squire. Here's Andrew now with a preview of Global News at 11 tonight. And Thanks, Chris. The recent shootings in Surrey have led to renewed calls to address the ongoing gang violence. The B.C. government announcing today it will invest $500,000 from civil forfeiture grants into anti-gang programs. But will the funding actually crack down on Surrey crime? Is it too little, too late for those already involved in gangs? Plus, the Vancouver police are investigating a staff member at the Portland Hotel Society after $15,000 was allegedly taken from the bank account of one of its vulnerable residents. We'll have that story and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris. Okay, and thanks very much. And when we come back, a priceless collection of Canadian hockey memorabilia, including Gretzky's baby skates. What's next? Coming up on ET Canada, the latest celeb nude leaks from Tiger Woods to Kristen Stewart, plus all the stars coming to TIFF. And we're invited to Carly Rae Jepsen's latest video shoot. All of that is coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris. Thank you very much, Cheryl. Uh, me and Squire, or Squire and I, to be you. precise. Uh, a lot of great attractions down at the PE, including the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yes, the Hockey Hall of Fame is on tour and um, it's got a very BC angle to it as well. A lot mm-hmm. of things that you would recognize and like, and some things. If you're an old fan or a new fan, you're going to love going to the Hall of, Hockey Hall of Fame exhibit at the PE. Here we go. For old and young hockey fans alike, the hall on tour is like the Mona Lisa coming to town. We have, we have 32 featured cases here, which is probably one of the biggest ever that we've had, as you spoke about. But everything dating back to Vancouver Millionaire medals. We have a gold medal from the 1928 Olympics. We have Wayne Gretzky's first pair of skates, and not when he played pro. It's the uh, first time I ever came up close to see something like this. And because it's at the PNE, the hall is playing to the hometown fans. A lot of BC hockey teams and players are honored here. Cam Neely of Maple Ridge, his Memorial Cup ring from the Portland Winterhawks, even the short lived early 70s Vancouver Blazers of the WHA. It's one of those teams that people forget about the old WHA, but the Blazers, they had some unique colors, and that, that league was a. Uh, an up-and-coming league, but it brought a lot of the innovation to the NHL, which is here today. We have our uh, trophy display here featuring the Clarence Campbell Bowl for the Western champion, the President's Trophy for the first overall in regular season. Both of those trophies have been won by the Canucks in the past, and another local trophy connection is the Art Ross. Yeah, which is pretty special, and then uh, back-to-back years, Henrik and Daniel are here. (laughs) Now, of course, this is only a small part of what the main Hall of Fame in Toronto has. But even that building is not big enough to display everything the hall owns. 
However, there are some things they don't have yet. Remember when the Canucks wore the Millionaire's uniforms in the Heritage Classic? Well, the Hall would love an original one from 100 years ago. The Vancouver Millionaires were a huge team at the turn of the last century, winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, one of the first teams in the bowl, actually, to engrave. Love to get a jersey of that one day. You've not uh, found one? Never, never found one. Anyone's got any, we'd love to hear from you. But don't worry if you can't add to the exhibit. The hall just...